0: Greetings to each one and in the name of Jesus this morning. One more thing I thought I should mention before we start is something else to remember in your prayers is Gene Gene Hirsch is not feeling very well and hasn't been for a while now and He's actually pretty sick. Um, You can call him and ask him the details. I won't go into all that. Um, Possibly a second round of mono is, is the last thing that I know on it. But in the meantime, he's very... He's not around much. He's barely got out of bed yesterday with some hives, and I'm not sure what all that is from or if they know. Um, But remember him in prayer and the family as they relate to that. Um, And and any other needs among us that we can... I think we... It's good to remind ourselves and remind each other of of the many needs that we have. Um, I don't see Chappie and Edith here this morning, so remember them in prayer as well as they continue to heal and go through that health journey that they are on. <clears throat> I'm not sure if you expected a Thanksgiving sermon or not. Um, I feel a little bit like um. Norman mentioned that I think his title, if he would have gave it a title, it would have been Thanksgiving, and now what? Maybe mine is the now what, or the what. Um, but I was just thinking about. Feels strange to mention this in in conjunction with what Leland shared about the young man that lost his life. But you know, thinking about the many the many ways that God does bless us, and that we. The things that we do have to be thankful for. <clears throat> Here, a couple months ago, we had a little incident with our our family vehicle. Um, we had previously been on a trip to Eastern Oregon, and on that trip, we had driven some very much back gravel roads. With I don't think there was phone service on some of them. And, you know, we did, there were some detours that we had to take to get to La Grande because of forest fires. I think there was no phone service on some of them roads. Went through that whole thing with this vehicle. far as I knew, everything was good. And about a week later, we're coming down, headed south on I-5 and just getting to Halsey Exit and all of a sudden my steering wheel is barely can turn and get off the exit i could i had to crank on it pretty good to get it over there and the lights get dim and the vehicle shuts off and the air conditioning's no more and actually it didn't shut off the vehicle kept running lost my lost the air conditioning and the lights grew a little bit dim steering power steering gone serpentine belt was shredded and any of you that know how important that is the vehicle can stay running but um, the air conditioner the, the compressor the water pump importantly crankcase no longer is being turned and any of you that are mechanics here are going to cringe at this but I went ahead and drove the rest of the way home. I don't know why. I just felt like that's what we needed to do. We had a sleeping baby. It was getting later at night. And we just went slow, and I went home, and every gauge that could squawk at me was coming on, and and it was, it was hot. And I don't know why I did, but I drove the whole way home and parked it next morning. Got a new belt, put it on, and it's ran ever since. Anybody want to buy a Expedition? <laughs> so, just, I share that just thinking about what we had just been through a week before with that vehicle, and the many times that, if that would have happened, would have been so unhandy. No, we wouldn't have lost our life, but, you know, just little ways that God watches out for us. And sometimes He does allow things that are not so handy that does come along in life as well. But for the most part, He cares about His children. Well, that's not the message this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of James, and for... Those of you that have babies on your laps, you'll find this handy because for the vast majority we will stay in James, the second chapter here, and that's where we'll get our message. <clears throat> Does anyone know why this is called the General Epistle of James? Anybody here know why it's called the General Epistle? You can be wrong. Well, from what I understand, it's because James, the Apostle James, wrote this not to a specific church or people. It was to the general churches in that day. Just a... Little interesting fact there. James here was the first bishop or patriarch of the church in Jerusalem. And from what I understand he became the spokesman after Peter, there in I believe it's in Acts twelve, when Peter got freed from prison and and then soon after that he fled, fled Jerusalem. And that put James as the spokesman, the lead spokesman. So what I want to look at this morning, the title of the message is Respect to Persons. It's said in this chapter two different ways, with respect of persons and to persons. Essentially it means the same thing. Um, this, from what I found is, is in this context, although not exactly the same, is found in this respect of persons, not the word respect, respect of persons is found 12 times in the Bible, in scriptures, about half and half New Testament and old, um, but it tends to, from what I understand, have a different meaning in the in the old testament, it tends to have more of a positive meaning. And in the in the new here, it's more get more of a negative meaning. It's something that we're to avoid. And that's the subject I'd like to look at this morning is respect to persons. So we're gonna go down through this chapter here through to verse 13 and just just unpack this a bit here and see what James has to say about this. He, it seems like he takes it fairly seriously and I believe that we should too. And it's something that I, for one, can learn from. Here in verse 1, says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect of persons. So here we see that term right off the bat here in verse 1. That's where he starts his chapter off. Um, but one thing I'd like you to remember, if you're keeping notes, you could write down, Christ died for all. That would be the overarching thought as we go down through this, these scriptures here in James that Christ died for all of us. Christ died for all. Now there is there is some places, like I said, it's not all used in the same words here. In Acts 10.34 it talks about God is no respecter of persons. I think we would all agree to that and that's familiar with us that we know God is not a respecter of persons. And neither should we be. That's the point that James is making here. Neither should we be. And here in verse 1 it says, Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. So what James is saying here is, Don't claim to be servants of God, the Lord of glory. Don't, Don't claim to be part of the faith. And at the same time be respecter of persons. Obviously, this was a problem here in the church in Jerusalem, and I don't think we're necessarily free of it today. But let's look, as we go down here further, we'll look a little bit more about the setting of of what was happening here. It's a little bit different from what we would look at today as a normal worship service and respecting persons in a worship service. One thing I'll just say before I go any further is this respect of persons in the respect of persons in the Greek basically means partiality or favoritism. So if that gives you a little bit more in your in your mind of where this is headed, James says do not show favoritism. Verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. So a little bit the setting here, this word assembly. From what I, what I understand, this would have been more of a, a setting, assembly in the synagogue. And it would have been a meeting of these Christians to decide matters of differences, things that come up among them in the members of the church here. It's maybe a setting that would determine when, when, to, uh, when censures should be passed on uh, on each other and what those censures should be. In other words, a Jewish synagogue here was was where they met to do justice and judge. So like I said, it wasn't necessarily a normal worship service like we would think of it here this morning, but... As we go down through here it's more clear on on what this setting was and why that makes sense with it, um, although I do think it could apply to our worship service, but I think it more so applies to how how we judge each other maybe judge isn't the right word how do we, how how do we treat each other when we feel like there's been a trespass maybe that's the the thrust of this, as far as for our setting today. From what I understand, the Jewish Constitution, um, it expressed that when a poor man and a rich man came together in these synagogues, in this assembly, that as they stood together before the judges, apparently there were some judges involved, that they were both to stand or sit together. This was, this was an issue, and it was something they wanted to see. It was a rule that a rich and poor man together, brothers in the church here, they either both sit or both stand. And that's where what James is referring to here when he says, Stand now. Stand or well, it says sit here in a good place and say to the poor, stand there, or sit here under my footstool. Cause I've often wondered about that, you know, how does that how does that work in our church today or a church? Um you know, I thought about where are the best seats in our church. I, I would probably say most of them are in the back in, in our settings these days. Maybe them are where the the high people sit in the back seats now, and nobody wants to sit up here with Jason. Um, no, it's it's interesting to to think about that though, and I don't think there is a right or wrong seat in church. I think it's I don't think that's the high priority. But it it was here in this setting in these in this synagogue. It was a big deal. Notice in verse 4, remember, I'll read that next, says, Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? So here the word judges comes in. So that's what gives it the idea that this was, this was where they met and talked about the things that were going on and how to deal with them. And obviously, they went about that in a different way that we do today. So you get a picture of the of the setting here a little bit. <clears throat> um, maybe just an example of this kind of thing happening today. How can how does that how could that apply? I think that in a church setting that there there are things that come up. There are trespasses committed against the word of God. And there's times when we have to deal with them. And nobody enjoys it, I don't think. And I guess, like I said earlier, the thrust maybe of what I would like for myself to take from this at least is is... Partiality or favoritism in dealing with trespasses. Just think about that for a little bit. Um, It's something that happens, I believe, in in churches without... I don't know if it's right, fair to say that people don't try it. But maybe they're not aware of, of what it does to individuals. Maybe because they're not related or because of social status or God forbid that whether they were rich or poor, um, that they would be judged differently from another. And I, from what I'm reading here, that this is something that James says is wrong. And as we go down through here, he's basically talking about this and at the end of this, 13 verses, he, he gives a verdict on what happens when we operate this way and, and what it does. <clears throat> Do we judge fairly with each other? Remember the overarching theme, Christ died for all. John 3.16, it says, "Whoever believe, Whosoever believes on him shall have eternal life that that's his goal that it should be our goal as I was thinking about this thing of partiality and I don't know that it's necessarily even fits with this but I it's just been on my mind since I heard it in the last couple of weeks of a story of I believe it was in Africa that a missionary uh missionary I believe he was a evangelist there he left the main missionary compound. I'm not sure if I have all the facts straight. But went to visit this believer sister in the jungle. And this is a real true story of the here and now, what is, what is happening in places. And they go to visit this mother and they come to her little shack there. And I believe she got some food of some kind around. I'm not sure on that for them. But the one thing that they noticed was this mother had was holding a little child in her arms that was basically skin and bones, a skeleton. The child, I, I believe, was big enough that it could have walked at that age, but she had to carry it because it was almost dead. And running around at her feet, there was another child that was looked a lot better, in better shape. Um... And so they asked the mother, what is going on here? And she said, well, I only had enough to feed one child. And so what was going on there is she was showing partiality, but it's it very much rends your heart to think about ever needing to make that decision where I have enough food for one child. Just imagine that. When we just came through a Thanksgiving holiday with... Plenty to eat. There's people that choose between one child and leave the other one die. All right, as we go on here, um, this thing of partiality, favoritism. You know, I think although we don't outwardly practice this most times, I think that that this can be an attitude that we have and that is being a respecter of persons. And I didn't touch on it much but at the beginning there it talks about the poor man versus the rich man. Do we find ourselves if we're honest with ourselves in our walk of life not necessarily in our church service. Do we find ourselves preferring someone with some more substance than a poor man. The one that has the most material possessions. I'm not talking about spiritually rich right now. And I think it's our human nature too. If we're honest, we do this if we don't guard against it. And I think it's something that James along with in the assembly, across our life, across our Christian life, our walk with God? Do we find ourselves doing this? I trust that we're not. Alright, going to verse 5. Here we have three questions in a row, 5, 6, and 7, that I will read. James asks a question. Four was a question as well, but five says, Hearken, listen up. My beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have, des- but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? So here we see in verse 5, it says, God hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith. And as you think about that for a little bit, poor people overall, for the most part, are usually more humble and open about their life. That's a fact. That's not saying always. You know, it's it's much more rare to see a rich person, a person of substance that is poor in spirit. It's much more rare. The fact is, poor people come to the knowledge of the truth more readily than wealthy people do. Now I realize that all this talk of wealth and riches is relative to the culture we live in and where we are. Christ died for all, but He also gave the poor riches. He promised to the poor spiritual riches in glory. Here in verse 5, it also says, or in verse 6, it says, but ye have despised the poor. Are we ever guilty of that? Do we, with our attitude, maybe not with our mouth, but do we despise the poor? Um, I think we would all agree that there are poor people that probably bring it on themselves, but there are also poor that of no, of no fault of their own. James says, why would you do that? Why would you despise the very ones or lift up the rich man? They're they're the ones that oppress you, he says. They're the ones that cause problems. The rich people are the ones that cause persecution in this world, by and large. For Christians, and down through history, think about it once, the power of riches by using their political powers in that way. We see that in our world right now as we speak, using political powers and money to mete out persecution on Christians. Verse 7 says, Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Most of us probably know personally at some point we have in our life or know someone that fits this description as we rub shoulders with, with the world around us. I believe it's our job to pray for people like that. Verse 7, I mentioned that worthy name by by the which ye are called. What do you think that worthy name, what is James referring here to? If you want to hold your place there in James and just turn back to Isaiah 62 verse 2 quickly. And let's just look at that for a minute. The worthy name. Isaiah 62, verse 2, it says, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. It says, you shall be called by a new name. What do you think that new name is? Jeremiah, way back, or Isaiah was prophesying about a new name that we will receive. If you turn to Acts 11, verse 26 now. Let's see what it says there about this. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says, that, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. That new name, I believe, is Christians. They were first called that here in Acts at Antioch. And it says it's a worthy name. James calls it a worthy name. Do not be ashamed to be called Christians. Going down to verse 8 now, I mentioned that James now brings the law into this. He's somewhat of a lawyer, acts acts as a lawyer here in this chapter. In verse 8 it says, If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Royal law. What do you think the royal law means here? It could mean various things. I I would, would tab it as the most excellent law, the highest law. And here he hands down in these next verses the verdict of a respecter of persons in these next six verses. In verse 8 it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It says you would do well to remember that. Who is the neighbor? Who is our neighbor? I believe it's anyone that we come in contact with, anyone we rub shoulders with in the world around us. Remember, Christ died for all. Verse 9, but if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So here we see this phrase again, respect to persons. And then he says at the end of verse 9, you're convinced of the law as transgressors when you do this. Do do any of us want to be a transgressor of the law? I don't believe that we do. Verse 10 says for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point he is guilty of all. For he that said do not commit adultery said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hateth show, that hateth that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but if we honestly ask ourselves have we ever been guilty of respect to persons in church life in church to anyone to our brothers and sisters and I think sometimes the reason we we may be guilty of this is because at least for myself is because you know we don't always know what is going on inside a person, we don't always know why they do the things they do, although it doesn't excuse sin by no means, but I think that if we remember that Christ died for all, first and foremost, I think we will have a lot more, we will have less favoritism, maybe I'll just say it like that, with each other. Less politics. Reminds me of the story of a musician back in 2007, January 12th. And I believe it was the Washington Post. They wanted to do this little trial, so they sent this musician out to a very busy busy spot in in uh, Washington DC they sent him out to perform as an incognito incognito busker which is what someone that just goes and plays music along the side of the road and puts out their hat for money basically They put this musician out there with a violin. And he was out there for, I don't remember how long it was, most of a day. And over a thousand people walked by where they could see this man playing and listen in hearing distance of this violin. And he was a good player. It It was wonderful music there was only seven people stopped at the end of the day to actually acknowledge or put money in the hat. Seven people out of almost 1,100 people. That day he collected $32.17 while he played at this metro station in D.C., you know, some of the people would come through there, uh, uh, parents with children, and the children would stop and look back, and the parent would cuff them on the head and push them on their way. We don't have time. We've got to get moving. This happened multiple times. Um, one young one young man would lean against a wall and listen for a short time and threw a couple dollars in and walked on. But for the most part, not very acknowledged. And what these people didn't realize that just two nights prior, this musician had a packed out, a packed out um, stadium theater. He had a packed out theater where the tickets averaged at least a hundred dollars a piece. In Boston, and the violin that he was playing there that day was worth 3.5 million dollars. And I don't remember all the history on that, but it was very, very old and restored. Very old, very antique, worth a lot of money. And they also didn't realize that this was a musician by the name of Joshua Bell. Some of you that enjoy music might recognize the name, but he's a very famous violin player. One of the greatest musicians alive today. And sometimes that's how I can be, that's how we can be with with people that are among us that we deem as, in our minds, they're not worthy of a whole lot maybe we show favoritism between each other and when them people do something wrong or at least that we feel it's wrong we tend to dig dig in a little deeper on that James says if we do this we're called transgressors And I read there in verse 10, 11, he, he brings the idea of if you do all the law, but you leave one out, just one. And sometimes I feel like in our culture, we get really close to doing that sometimes, where we do a lot of good things. I'm talking to myself as well. We do a lot of good things. But for some reason, we can leave something out at the expense of hurting people or maybe just not loving each other as ourself, our neighbor, our brother, or sister. You know, he uses a pretty extreme example here in verse 11. It says, For he that that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. And what happens when we leave one important thing out that Scripture teaches? We then are judged without mercy. That's what he says. Do any of us want to be judged without mercy? In verse twelve it calls it the perfect law of liberty that is that is the royal law that's the excellent law It's a law that frees because we no longer show favoritism. We all come under the same judgment. And Christ died for all. Verse 13 in closing, it says, I'll read it again For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. basically what James is showing here saying I said it earlier if we don't show the same mercy to everyone he says here he shall have judgment without mercy now where that fits into your life this morning I don't know and I'm in some ways I'm glad I don't but I think it's fair, like I had to do to myself, and that's just ask, just be reminded again of the words of the scripture here in James, of the Apostle James, that there's a reason that he said this because way back then humans operated just like they do today, and we're pretty apt to show favoritism without thinking sometimes. And and I think it's something that God does not smile on and I don't think it should be part of what we do. Thank you each one for your attention. Let's have a song at this time.